Welcome to Recruiting Daily's Use Case Podcast, a show dedicated to the storytelling that happens or should happen when practitioners purchase technology. Each episode is designed to inspire new ways and ideas to make your business better as we speak with the brightest minds in recruitment and HR tech. That's what we do. Here's your host, William Tincup. This is William Tincup, and you're listening to the Use Case Podcast. Today, we have Joe on from Atlas Jobs. And we'll be learning about the business case, the use case for why her customers and prospects choose Atlas Jobs. Joe, would you do us a favor and introduce yourself and Atlas Jobs? Yes. Thanks. Thanks, William. Thanks for having me on today. Sure. I'm Joe Weber. You can probably tell from my accent, I'm not originally from these parts, originally from the UK, but I've been living in the United States for most of my life at this point. And my whole career has been in the US. I'm based out in Los Angeles. And which is when you come from London, England, and the rain. <laughs> rather nice There's the sun. They've talked about <laughs> yeah. the sun. I've read <laughs> stories about the sun. There it is. Yeah, fair <laughs> enough. Shocking when you first get here, but yeah. <laughs> and with Atlas, what we were looking to try and do, we feel in many ways, when you look at this generation, Generation Z coming through, it's a very interesting generation. It's the most diverse generation ever. And it's also the most technologically adept generation ever. And as we look at hiring and trying to build the next workforce from this generation, we're, we're putting them, we're giving them really old, antiquated processes. And you're taking this technologically advanced generation and really pushing to them, hey, you need to fill in this application. You need to do this. You need to do that. The average Online job application requires 51 clicks. It's certainly not optimized. And I think you probably, your readers probably got, or listeners have got a, in, in your head right now, maybe a mental image of teenagers today and young people today. 50% of Gen Z spend four hours a day on social media. And I'd argue substantial lots, but it's been quite a bit more than that. But they're used to the very fast. They're used to the rapid. They used to be able to get information at their fingertips easily and not have to go through really lengthy processes. So what happens is 92% of applicants, 92% fall out of the online job application process, which is, I find that stunning at just how inefficient that is. that process is that we're losing 92% of candidates. So what we're trying to do with Atlas Jobs is to really bring those two worlds together and provide a platform that allows companies to make their opportunities more discoverable, to make it easier for candidates to see, hey, what is it like to work at this company? What's the culture like? What's this role going to be like? Who am I going to report to? Make it much easier and allow them to communicate with the tools that this generation is used to using. Um, mobile is heavy. It needs Technology needs to be very mobile friendly. And we're also seeing this is the first generation coming through that are incredibly comfortable with video and use video to find information out in a way that no other generation has. So our approach really is around making a technology platform that makes it easier for companies to position themselves as employers of choice amongst Generation Z. Now, do we have, with Atlas, do we have vertical markets that we are more dominant with or, or types of candidates that we're more dominant with? 
Yeah, I think Atlas Jobs, the name, there's a clue in the name. It basically uses, instead of throwing you into a list view, it puts you immediately into a map. So when you open Atlas Jobs, either, and it is atlasjobs.com, or use any of our, our mobile apps, the iOS or the Android app, you open up with a map and you can navigate to either where you currently are or where you want to find a job. So if you're maybe considering moving somewhere, you can look for jobs in that particular area. And every 17-year-old on the planet knows their way around that mapping kind of interface. I do think we appeal more to, for sure, younger job seekers who find this a more intuitive way of finding, finding things. And then in terms of verticals, certain verticals, you can't work remote. You have to have people in place. So retail industry, the healthcare industry, you can't be a remote nurse, or I guess you could, but it wouldn't be very effective. You need to be there at the hospital or the clinic. So a lot of times, I'd say the companies that are hyper-local that require talent to actually be in particular locations, the mapping makes sense because it allows them to showcase exactly where the position is. And then we can apply other data, things like what's the cost of living look like in that area? So somebody job seeking can see, hang on a minute, that job, maybe it's only $18 an hour, but the cost of living there is much better than it is in this location. And also we allow them to do things like show a career pathway. So you start at 18 an hour, but if you continue after two years, you're eligible for this role, which is $50,000 a year. So you can, as a young person coming in, you actually get to see your career progression with a company. And I think that's a just a very significant thing, again, particularly for this generation, when you're coming through from college and just starting your career to be able to see where you can go. So you sent out an interesting crossroads between employers and candidates, right? Or, and so what do candidates, you touched on it a little bit, what do candidates need to know about an employer to make a decision to apply? And then the flip side of that, what do employers need to know about a candidate in order to accept them and move them forward in a process? Yeah, that's a great question. So let's take a look at the candidates. I think when you, anytime you see these surveys, the number one thing people care about is the salary. Anytime you see the salary, <laughs> clearly that is very important. People need to know it. And recently there's been a slew of salary transparency laws that have swept across the country. I think there's about salary transparency is required in about six or seven states right now, including California, where I am. That came in a couple of months ago. This started first in parts of Europe, had salary transparency laws. So a job, when a job is posted, it has to show the salary. Um, and it, this has been in, in parts of Europe for 15 years. This is fairly new to the United States. Colorado was the first start, state to do this. And this was, I think, about two years ago with Colorado. And at the time, you would see some very large companies posting jobs that would say remote position candidate can work anywhere except Colorado. So they were like trying to, companies were trying to find their way around it because they didn't want to put the salaries out there. (laughs) Um, Which which is great. That's a great way of going about it. We're just not going to be transparent. Isn't it lovely? So (laughs) I think 
What's happening, though, is I think the laws are starting to become more ubiquitous. New York City and California being two very large employment areas have that law, plus a slew of other states. And I do apologize for not knowing them on the tip of my tongue. But I think I can start to see this information is becoming more pervasive so that when you look and certain employers, including a customer of ours, a very large customer of ours, is choosing to forget the states. We're a multinational corporation. We're just going to put the salaries out there. And I think that's wonderful. I think that's going to just make it so much easier. That there's all You have concerns about your current employees and your imbalance. But I think when it starts to get to the issues that we're dealing with, pay discrepancy and certain people right. paid more, that goes away. That could go away in a generation if, right. we, if we start to be more transparent around this stuff. Which is Which is part of... The desire of the employers, but also being pushed, probably pushed in the in mightily by the employees and candidates of the expectation of, I'm just not going to work at a place that's not transparent. Period. Yeah. And we're seeing, you also see this with Gen Z. We did a survey, there was a survey recently, and we did a survey recently, and it was something like 92% of people care about the employer's attitude towards diversity and equity. And I think it was 75% of candidates, Gen Z candidates, said that they would, if they weren't comfortable with that, it would make them reconsider taking a position with that company. Which, thank goodness, that's we're 50, 50 years later. But it's nice to actually, it's refreshing to see candidates that you're unwilling to, they're just, you know, I think there was a time where people thought, I even thought, that you'd get on the inside and then you'd change things from the inside. And uh, that was a failed bit. Whereas yeah. now candidates are just empowered. It's funny, I was having a, a discussion with someone last week about candidate-driven market or employee-driven market, and they pushed me pretty hard on it. And I say, it's forever a candidate-driven market now because of their expectations are so vastly different than boomers and Gen X. I, and- I- and it's taken, you're right, 50 years, it's taken a long time. I think the Civil Rights Act was like 1964. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But it, it has taken a long time and we still see, we just, my, my company just produced a report called the State of Diversity, Equity and Inclusion Accessibility in STEM fields because oh, cool. STEM, science, technology, engineering and math, those jobs on average pay 2x jobs outside, non-STEM jobs. So it's life-changing in terms of being able to, afford a, a different lifestyle, having a career in STEM really can help elevate families out of poverty. So I think one of the things we're looking at is how do you get there? What inroads have we made? Again, Civil Rights Act of 1964 outlawed discrimination in the workplace based on <laughs> race and gender and so on. But where are we now really with that? And you can still see certain industries have a real diversity and equity inclusion problem they still are not inclusive oh yeah yeah and again until pushed they're probably going to remain that way until people just they this is i think something that we got right during apartheid is we just boycotted like like companies around the world just said yeah we're just not going to do business with you until you fix this thing that you've got going on which is completely horrible yeah we're just not going to do business with you and it took the globe actually to then just say yeah we're not gonna we're not gonna participate in this 
You can change. You can choose to change on your own, <laughs> which would be great. Or we can just boycott you. And I think that we'll see more of that in the future where candidates get even more. They build their voice even more and use their voice even more and just say, yeah, just not going to work at this company because of this reason. And everyone should boycott for the same reasons. And you know what? If and when those things happen, companies will adapt. They'll change. They just they just don't want to change as quickly as candidates or want them to change. Which I think again, we're we're living in really interesting times now, where candidates are just they're just unwilling. They'll not work. They'll go to the extreme of I'll just not I'll work Uber and Grubhub and do all kinds of other things piecemeal work together, and I'm just not going to suffer fools. So. For sure. I think there's a couple of factors there, William. I think you're dead. There is more options now. The gig economy is right. so you don't have to put up with things. I think the way that maybe Generation X and the boom. Mm. I also think that's interesting. Interesting you mentioned apartheid, right? Apartheid, the negotiations that really ended, led to the end of apartheid, took place between 1990 and 1994, um, which were early days of the internet. I think before then, it was hard to communicate with the world. So that was like when it was just communication was just starting, but there was no Twitter, there was no social media. And I think these things nowadays can get amplified very quickly. Oh, seconds, minutes, and hours. This Generation Z who spend four hours a day on average on social media yeah. are very influenced by what they hear and see. And oh. I and that's 100%. why I think you're dead right. People won't put up with some of the things that were maybe hidden, obfuscated, uh, not just not as visible and not as shareable. We've now got the tools and this generation are using the tools to, to get information out. Off topic, but because you've studied this as well, I've always thought that we should do some type of truth and reconciliation with men and women in the workplace. It's some type of event because of Me Too, but I was shocked when Me Too first came up. Melissa, Melissa Milano first tweeted after someone else used the hashtag. I I was shocked that other people were shocked. Like I just assumed people knew. That's how jaded I am, Joe. I just, <laughs> I just assumed everyone knew that this was what was going on in Hollywood or Wall Street or Silicon Valley, etc. Like I was shocked other people were shocked that this was going on I, I do think that's a bit generational as well I think because I was I remember I was when I did my I did a PhD in physics and I went to an event in England at Oxford University it was the world's the leading minds in quantum physics were coming together for this the 21st quantum chemistry conference so a lot of dumb people together in one place got it <laughs> <laughs> but there was no females uh, oh, the, no, other, no. the only other woman there was a secretary. Back in that time, I don't know, you, you just as a woman, you were like, it, it, it wasn't a, it was very much a boys club. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. You're wearing pantsuits. I remember someone about the same era, but in the legal profession, that she said, yeah, wearing a dress, wearing a skirt. Yeah, no, I wore pants. It almost emasculated me. Yeah. Me, to some degree, like I, she was telling me about wearing pantsuits. 
to like fit in cutting your hair shorter to fit in i'm like that's just insane but again that was that was the attention went the other way you right. got a different kind of attention which i think we're all trying to establish ourselves as that's right in our careers so it, it was and i think growing up with that and my early jobs going to some of the big trade shows in america with a bunch of sales guys and it was oh, yeah. guys people, i don't people, people have no like, idea yeah. No idea the amount. Like, I didn't even know until this is probably a decade ago now, but I was out at a conference and I was at dinner with a bunch of my friends that just happened to be female. And so it was like seven of us. And it's about 10 30 and their phones are blowing up like text message, bing, bing. And my phone, nothing's happening. Crickets, nothing's <laughs> on my phone. So their phones are blowing up. So I'm like, what's going on? They're like, oh, you have no idea. Like all these vendors, these salespeople—they're most of them are married. They're just—they're oh, yeah. just—it's wheels off. I'm like, yeah. people will just exchange keys. They'll just hand you their hotel keys. Like what? <laughs> I couldn't believe it. But because it was happening literally right at the table in front of me, I'm like, I ha- I'm confronted. I have to believe it now. I just—I I just again, when once you know the air, you can't put that air back in the bottle. It's like I yeah. just. I did have a question, though, that I wrote down while we were talking is you mentioned antiquated systems and processes and techniques and the way that we interact with candidates and how that changed. What's your take on like the need to have a resume or even a LinkedIn profile for people that are 17, 18, 20 years old? Do they feel the need? <laughs> no, I think that's, a, that's part of it, isn't it? It's a challenge. And LinkedIn is great when you've had a 20-year career, but when you're coming out of school, you don't have a whole lot to put on it. So I think, and this generation grew up with video. I'm a big supporter of believer in video. I think the thing with a resume on a 17-year-old is it's meaningless. So it's just meaningless at that point. But a 10-second video where somebody could say, hey, I saw this role you were offering, this position that you're offering in graphic design, and I've been studying graphic design for five years now. I'm really passionate about it, and I'm going to share. Here's some of the graphic art that I've actually done. I've looked at your company. I think this is where I could fit in. This would be my first opportunity, but I know all of these tools. I know how to use Photoshop and Illustrator, and I think I could really fit in well with your team. That that was, I don't know, 10 seconds or whatever, and then maybe a bit of a show and tell of my what I've got. That, to me, if I'm looking at that as a recruiter I get a, or as a hiring manager, I get a real sense of can this person stand up and talk can this person will they get on well with other people in the team will this person do they have the basic skills that i'm looking for so i think when you're 17 the ability to express yourself over video is a much better tool and you can also on video you get things like on a resume and you know what it's like william at the moment you, if you put a job out there on some of these big platforms, I'm not going to pick any of the names, but any one of them, you'll get 100 candidates. Oh, very, yeah. Very quickly, oh, right? Oh, yeah. So then you start to go through those candidates, right? And you get through the first 10, and you're like, none of these. You get into the next 20, and now you're starting to get fatigue. Right. So now the next 30, you maybe glance at them. And if it's so unproductive... And then maybe you get to, you've got to fill this job. 
So then you find out of the 100, you find two or three candidates, you put them forward. Now another 50 have come in that meantime. But you're like, forget that, because I'm on another <laughs> job. I'm so much of it just seems to be this kind of mess of when I was, I'm, I'm a lot older when I was younger, coming, going for a job, I might put out, say, two or three. Right. Into because you were thoughtful and it wasn't an easy apply or well, apply exactly. all jobs, et cetera. The spray and pray that I'd put out maybe two or three and I'd probably get, I'd get three replies. That's the other part of the problem today. There's so much that there's so much noise that they're not getting replies. I And maybe I'd get two interviews and then I might get one job offer. What's happening today is so different. These, the kids, the young people are going to put out, they feel the odds are against them. So guess what? If I can apply to a thousand jobs, I've got more chance of getting a job than being really thoughtful and applying for 10. And the trouble is, it means the top of the funnel is recently I was hiring for a developer and I got people that are clearly gotten absolutely no development experience whatsoever. So you've got this challenge going on right now. I feel where young people coming through, they don't get somebody saying, hey, we've looked at your resume. They get no feedback. So they just keep applying. They just, and maybe they initially start with two or three, but then they blow the volume up because they're just not getting, they're not getting any responses. So I want to get your take on the view of commodities because I think a lot of employers look at early, early workforce folks as like a faucet and they just turn on the faucet, candidates apply, and then they turn off the faucet and then it, that's it. And so they view, or they historically have viewed, probably pre-pandemic, have viewed candidates as commodities. But what I've seen and felt is that candidates are now viewing employers as commodities. And they're the faucet, and they're turning the faucet on <laughs> and off, <laughs> et cetera. So first of all, I could have all that wrong. You're sitting at uh, the end. I think that's interesting. I, I hadn't heard that, William, but... You could see it because what's happened is Man- Manpower, the Manpower Group, did a, right. a survey last year, and they are telling us that we are in the tightest labor market in 16 years, Yeah, with 75% of companies now struggling for hires. So I think that's interesting what you just said there, that the faucet has changed direction. The, right. And, and that makes a lot of sense because it's like a buyer's market. I think one of the things I've seen with the companies that I work with, they are not looking at the candidates as a faucet, far from it. They're looking at what are the different ways we can bring these candidates into the company? And maybe it's with a training. We have to bridge them from college or from... And I'm also seeing some of my companies really going out and going into working to maybe bridge people coming out of military or coming out of coming from different areas. So they're really looking at them as a very a valuable source, I guess I'd say. And then I'm also seeing companies really focus on retention. And I think one of the things that you can see is it came out recently, something like 63% of people will immediately look for a job with a different company rather than choosing to stay within their Oh, own yeah. Company. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It's easier. It's or it's, Historically, the perception is it's just easier. I don't have to go through. I don't have to go through all this internal rigmarole or cause chaos or. And you also you can't, You don't know what the jobs are half the time. So you right. could be working. You could be working in a company. <laughs> Good could point. Be 
a position that you want, but you don't even know it's available because I think so much of the past has been somebody gets tapped on the shoulder. Bob, I think oh, yeah. For this. 100%. So I think we're trying to move away from that and increase, help companies, because I think this is good for everybody, help companies increase the visibility and the transparency of what it looks like to have a career at that company, not just a job. So seeing how you can progress through the company. So because you mentioned your clients and the companies that you work with, one of the things I wanted to ask you is like questions that they should be becoming better buyers of Atlas jobs. What should they be asking you? What questions should they be asking you and your team in particular? Buying questions. Yeah, I think a lot of it is, as I say, a lot of our customers are hyper-local. They need people in different locations. And I think looking at most of my customers, they really, you alluded to this a minute ago, William, there was a situation where 100 candidates for a job, right? 100 candidates apply for a job. Somehow you pick one candidate from that. You throw 99 away. Now, out of that 99, there may have been at least another 20 that were actually really quite good. And maybe if they had a little bit more training or maybe you have a position in a slightly different location that that you shouldn't have maybe just thrown them away. And I think, you know, what a lot of our the companies who are choosing to work with us right now are looking for is really better ways to try and really manage talent as opposed to throwing out, here's a job, here's a job, here's a job really looking at people as the most important commodity in the company, which let's face it, they really are. So what we see people coming to us at and talking to us about is more, can you help us um, work with both getting more candidates that are qualified for the roles we're looking for? So cutting out some of that spray and pray. So giving us an environment where we can better educate people and bring in a more qualified list of candidates and then helping us showcase what opportunities for a career looks like in our corporation. So I don't know. Uh, No, that's no, it's totally, it totally makes sense. And again, what's great about it is people that have, I'm thinking of franchisees and you mentioned retail earlier where they have multiple units, which means that they have, multiple jobs open and again what's great about that is let's take la as an example they've got let's just say verizon they've got hundreds of stores and so they need talent at different places it's just a wonderful interface so joe you're doing great work we the next podcast is i've got to figure out how you got from physics to jobs but (laughs) we will leave that for another day but but thanks again for your time this has been absolutely wonderful No, likewise. It's been great talking to you, William. Thank you. All righty. And thanks for everyone listening. Until next time. You've been listening to Recruiting Daily's Use Case Podcast. Be sure to subscribe on your favorite platform and hit us up at recruitingdaily.com.